I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's session on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Now, unless you've been living under a rock over the last 18 months, uh, you will be familiar with the concept of NFTs. We've seen really NFTs joining cryptocurrency and the metaverse as, as this enormous movement uh, sort of described by the, I guess, the broader descriptor of Web 3.0. And I'm delighted today to have joining me uh, Tim Lee, who is the CEO of Walking Between Worlds. Tim, uh, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for the uh, the invite. I appreciate it. Very keen to uh, share all about NFTs and all the misconceptions. Yeah, well, so Tim has been around the NFT world for a for a, a good period of time now, and is a true expert uh, in the space. You know, and if we just have a look at some of the things that we've seen, first of all, it was in the art space, and we saw NFT digital artwork selling for sixty or seventy million US dollars. Then we saw it in the sports world and the um, the US Basketball Association, the NBA, selling top shots, uh, little video NFTs of great basketball shots for millions of dollars. And then uh, relatively recently, Penfold, uh, the wine company, launched uh, a fascinating NFT product with NFTs for a very, very uh, premium wine, which allowed people to actually trade the wine without having to leave the safe storehouse that it's in. So there's a lot happening both for individuals uh, and what the NFT world might mean for individuals and finding your own creative streak there, but also for enterprise. And so, Tim, maybe if we roll it back a little bit and um, what is an NFT? It's a great question, Nick. It's... um it's one of those things that uh, has a lot of um, uh, a lot of confusion around it. An NFT is a non fungible token, and it's a, the easiest way to think of it is like a digital fingerprint of a digital file. So if you think of your own finger, um, I mean there are something like eighty four different trillion eighty four trillion versions of of um, a fingerprint. And when it comes to NFTs, they're the equivalent of all of the grains of sand on the planet in terms of the the number that is potentially available. So it's really a digital fingerprint is the easiest way of remembering it. I mean, technically, fungibility relates to something being easily exchanged. The $20 bill is exchangeable for a $20 bill or four or $5 bills. But a Monet is not as exchange is not as exchangeable as uh, um as, you know, for example, a Da Vinci piece might be. They're completely different. They are unique pieces. So a non-fungible token is a unique digital identifier for a digital asset, most notably a digital file. And one of the key things to understand is that if you change the full stop, um, a frame of a video, or a pixel on an image, the digital fingerprint will change. And so, and so just if the, how, in terms of how that might work, Let's say, for example, you know, I want to send uh, a photograph of my kids to, uh, to, you know, my mother. Let's say, you know, something simple like that. Now I can make infinite copies of that photograph, um, digitally. And, um, and, but, but in terms of, will every copy of that photograph 
have that same token identifier. So, so there'll be sort of, I will be regarded as the one sort of owner of that NFT if I was to make this photograph an NFT. So it wouldn't stop it from being copied, but it would show through the blockchain that I was the actual owner of the original NFT of that image. Yes, correct. It's it's very much that the original image would have that digital, you know, the digital fingerprint. And that would actually identify that you had produced the actual original photograph. So then that could be tracked back. Now, the the reality is that, you know, if you're sending um, multiple copies, I mean, those would be it would be um, you know, an identical it would be an identical a reference point because it's the same file. But if you're sending, you can create limited editions if you're an artist, for example. So, um, you know, one can create, um, an NFT relating to, you know, a limited edition set of prints. But essentially, without getting too knee deep in the weeds, it's very much just think of it like an authentication layer. And that's like your fingerprint defines you. The digital fingerprint defines your ownership in this particular case of the image that you've actually you've actually made and produced and and this is all enabled by by blockchain technology correct okay. correct absolutely okay. absolutely and and so this marketplace seems to have exploded over the last year i mean how, how you know how big is it now what's it's uh it's exploded i mean the best way of, of looking at it is to say that in quarter quarter 3 last year the sales of the NFT marketplace overall were $22.1 million. In the same time period this year, they're $5.9 billion. So it's a 265 times increase in the volume of trades and sales that have actually gone on. So if you look at the explosive growth, I mean, it's, it's one of the largest growing markets in the, in, in the globe, oh, yeah, around the, you know, on the planet. And it's just, we're just at the beginning of where this technology is actually going to go. Yeah. 250x. That's, um, that's not a bad growth inside. It's, uh, it's a nice growth. It's a nice but growth. And a I lot think- of that, you know, came as you were saying before, like the NBA top shots. They, in the first month that they produced those, they sold $232 million worth. Wow. So it's, you know, it's really significant sums that are beginning to, to come into this space. And we're just, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess w- why are people why are people buying them? What what do they what do they you know what do they see in them? What's the you know are they you know what you know it's a digital asset, so it's a new asset class, which is fascinating. But so say for example, people buying digital art. I know it's a subject close to your heart. What what are people doing with them? I think it's fair to say there are different motivations for different types of people. Um, there are people who actually enjoy art and are collectors, but then there are those that look at the financial relationships. And, and, you know, it's one of, it's one of those things that people are looking at the idea because you can digitally define ownership of that particular, you know, that particular work of art. You can actually have an investment thesis in a very similar way that, that art investment is looked at. So for example, imagine you own the Mona Lisa, right? Be very nice if you owned that. And it actually, and the NFT defined your ownership. Right. Okay. Now you could go onto Google, you know, right click and you can save an image of the Mona Lisa, but you can't sell it because it's not yours. Whereas if this, you know, this technology enables the ownership to be tracked, 
And that's a really important feature because if you imagine the Louvre did sell you the Mona Lisa, right, there would be a transaction linked into the technology that would identify this came from the Louvre to, yeah, to Nick Abrahams, right? And so there is a, there's a trackable record that's actually permanently stored on the blockchain. So what it means is that record is permanent. It can only be updated. It can never be removed. And so there's a complete, there's a complete layer of transparency and auditability, which makes this incredibly powerful. So lots of people may own a digital image of the Mona Lisa, but only you own the one that confirms the ownership. And as a result, you can, you know, the, the value of the Mona Lisa, for example, I mean, that's got to be worth half a billion dollars or something similar. Um, you know, you can now define your ownership of that. And that could be extended to any digital file. And then um, also I'm fascinated with the concept of, I guess, the, the smart contract that's built into the NFT such that, you know, because one, one of the, I guess, the great tragedies of art has been that most artists, when they sell their paintings, um, you know, don't sell them for terribly much and then they, you know, over time uh, they get sold for a lot more. So it's actually the people further down the track who, who bought the art rather than the artists who are getting compensated. But can you talk a little bit about how smart contracts can enable artists and creators to be rewarded? Sure. Because um, NFTs are, are based around cryptocurrencies and based around uh, you know, smart contracts, you can actually program the art. And what I mean by that is you can actually program into the actual NFT a royalty to be paid every time the NFT is sold. So, for example, if you think of Vincent van Gogh, for example, or Vincent van Gogh, depending on which, uh, which way you prefer the pronunciation, he died penniless. But if you could track every single transaction of um, Van Gogh's paintings and, and yeah, you attribute 5% of that and 5% of those go, you know, goes to the family, for example, that would be a substantial amount of money. Now, the idea is with any digital file, you can program in a royalty stream. And that was one of the things that really appealed to the NBA, that they had all this collateral that they could actually then sell as unique assets, as you know, unique collectibles. And every time a piece is sold, whether it's sold for a profit or a loss, they get a percentage clip on the ticket in the form of a royalty. And that is, is really powerful because, you know, certainly within the art space, the ability to actually track pieces and to attribute a royalty going forward is a nightmare the way that it would work at the moment because there's not the transparency. You know, if you go to a gallery, you buy a piece, then you sell it subsequently. Yeah, you know, once it's gone past the 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 you know, the owner from the gallery, you never you just don't know where it's going, and so as a result, if you can build in a two and a half percent, five percent royalty, whatever it might be, into the transaction, it means you can follow the provenance and you can follow the actual you can follow the money, which then means you can you know that you can actually just you know have that programmed so that your royalties are actually paid automatically. So I feel like based on that, there's going to be a lot of people listening who are thinking, well, I could be a digital artist. I wouldn't mind the idea of a trailing uh, commission on uh, on something that I created over time. Can we talk just a little bit, and we will get into the enterprise uh, area mm-hmm. for NFTs, but just a little bit about what it means for the individual and uh, for those budding artists uh, who are listening, how, how do you go about actually, you know, creating an NFT and selling an NFT and, and so forth? 
Sure. I mean, if, if you're a traditional artist, um, you know, you have to, you have to be able to, to either, um, create digital pieces or convert your existing art into, um, into a digital file. So it'll be scanning or, or photograph or high quality photography, whatever it might be. And the idea is that you can go onto a number of the, um, the, the open marketplaces that exist. Probably the easiest to use is OpenSea. And that accounts for about 92% of the market. Wow. And that's OpenSea.io. Exactly. That's the, wow. that's one of the challenges of the market, to be honest, you know, <laughs> but the, but the idea is you can actually, you know, you can literally go onto OpenSea and you can get that photograph of your kids. And, um, you know, put it up as an NFT and see if your grandma will pay you, I don't know, <laughs> you know, 15, yeah. You know, well. <laughs> you know, but, 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 what a but good idea. We'll monetize the family relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the idea is that any artist can get involved. Now that's the easy bit, to be honest. All oh, right. The okay. hard bit, the hard bit is that the, um, because the market, has come from the cryptocurrency space. Yep. There's non-fungible tokens are all based around smart contracts, which is based on what is known as the Ethereum network, which is the second largest cryptocurrency. So as a result, the whole culture of the market has come from the cryptocurrency space. And so the people that have been the early adopting buyers have been from the cryptocurrency space, those that have been in the space for probably at least five, six, seven years. I mean, I've been involved since 2015, the very beginning of 2015. And, you know, there are lots of, 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 of my peers who are regular buyers of, of NFTs. I've bought a lot of NFTs myself. Um, but the, the idea is they understand the technology. They trust the technology. And that's why the image that you were talking about at the very beginning of this session um, by Beeple, um, who's a, a very famous um, digital artist. He actually produced um, a piece, a digital piece every day for 5,000 days. And that piece was called 5,000 Days. And that's the one that sold for $69 million um, back in March this year. Now, it was a, a hedge fund out of Singapore that bought that, right? And this is a guy who's been in the, the blockchain space for quite a number of years, made a lot of money on you know, initial coin offerings and through the general rise of cryptocurrency. But what he's looking at and what others are looking at as an investment thesis is they're saying this is an iconic piece of art, right? And he, the, buying it for $69 million now means it's a high, high value piece, but a very high profile piece. So what will happen is in the future, as you get institutional funds coming into this market, with the idea of getting behind regulated structures, they will be looking towards buying the high quality pieces and they'll be paying not 50, you know, not $69 million, but probably $200 million further down the track because of the cultural significance. And it's equally when you look at the, these things called the crypto punks, which you may or may not have heard of, or your audiences may, may, may not have heard of those, but these were given away in 2017 for free. Right. Now, back in October, uh, October this year, um, there's a guy who was offered $9.6 million for his, and he turned it down. He said, I am not selling this for anything. And that is because the crypto punks, again, have cultural significance within the early adopting uh, users, because this was um, broad brush, the first major 
NFT put onto the Ethereum blockchain back in 2017. There are a couple of minor ones before that, but this is the, the most notable one. And so as a result, that is being viewed as a blue chip. So again, hedge funds are buying into these like it's going out of fashion because just like the cryptocurrency market, they see this is the beginning of a massive transformation. And where they're paying $9 million now, in five years' time, they'll probably be selling those for $100 million. No financial advice, obviously, but this is what's driving the market. So in, in you know, going back to the, the original point about an individual artist, you can put art up there. But it's like anything, you have to make people aware about, you know, aware about your, aware of your art. And so the, the overall issue is that it's not about talent at this moment in time. It's honestly about 20% talent and 80% marketing. Right. Right. And it's marketing to the crypto Twitter space. Right. Okay. Cause those are the people that are buying as, as it stands at the moment. Now, this dynamic is, is going to be changing. Um, especially with the likes of Coinbase, which is a, a regulated uh, exchange over in the US that it announced that they're, they're, they're launching an NFT marketplace. Um, and within 48 hours of announcing, they had 2.1 million people subscribe. Right. So it gives you an indication that this market is just going to go absolutely bananas. So if you're an individual or an existing traditional artist, you've got to understand the space. It's, that's really important. And I would say to anybody, research the market for between 30 and 50 hours. And it sounds like a lot, but once you get into the rabbit hole, time goes really quickly. Um, research the market to understand the dynamics because it's all based around cryptocurrencies. It's all based around crypto Twitter. It's all based around the dynamic. If you're an artist, sharing other people's work and getting other people to share yours and just understanding that dynamic. And one of the one of the key things about Twitter is there are, there's a thing now called Twitter Spaces where you can actually have audio channels linked into the Twitter to the Twitter channel, and what it means is that you get um, a, a bucket load of people turning up for Twitter Spaces. I've run quite a number of Twitter Spaces. I've joined others, been asked to participate in that type of thing. And the great thing is that you you actually get a real sense of what's going on because if you're if you're an artist. You want to make sure you understand the market so you can maximize your opportunities. If you're an investor, you need to understand the dynamic of the market so you can understand there's complete transparency of data and you can actually implement some structures and strategies relating to your buying um, if you understand the market. But expect to lose money if you're an investor in the early stages. And you know, that's going to be that's going to be your your tuition. Right. 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 Um, and that's why I say, you know, if you want to minimize your tuition fees, do 30 to 50 hours research, play around, don't get caught up in the FOMO, just observe and just see how it operates. Yeah. It's a really powerful space if you can get underneath the hood. But, and so we will, we will get to the enterprise usage of NFTs in a moment, but I think now's a perfect opportunity to segue just into your project, which you've been working on uh, for, for some considerable time, Walking Between Worlds. Can you give us a bit of background on uh, on what's happening there? Yeah, Walking Between Worlds is um, it's designed to actually help global Indigenous communities capitalise on the NFT space. Um, and, it, and it's primarily looking at the idea of energising, uh, yeah, first of all, Indigenous communities here in Australia, uh, and then using that as a playbook to actually energize 
uh, indigenous communities globally. And so it's the idea that um, we're, you know, we're, we're building out a platform um, uh, in time that will actually enable collaborations to happen where digital um, skills can be can be shared and collaboration pieces can be done. Looking at the idea of online education for digital, you know, digital art skills um, and basically digital skills, because there's a, a massive digital divide between indigenous communities, generally speaking, and traditional Western communities. Looking at creating best in class galleries in the metaverses, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but these are sort of three dimensional galleries that are in spaces that are, that are coming up and very much embracing art investors to support emerging talent. And so, um, you know, as part of that, that structure, you know, we've coordinated a number of indigenous artists and we're launching the first collection of NFTs for, um, indigenous uh, artists on January the 14th. We've just, uh, just announced that very recently. Um, and these will be, you know, so the first collection is 1100, 1100 pieces, wow. but there will be 10 hero pieces as well. And these hero pieces, include animation, include uh, indigenous poetry, music and soundscapes from, you know, to give a real sense of where the, um, you know, where the art came from. But this is about energizing um, indigenous communities because under normal circumstances, when you look at technology, when you see the internet and you see the blockchain in general, they generally tend to start very, um, very broad, go into vertical markets and then go to niche markets. And so it's about, we want to empower the indigenous communities globally to actually grab hold of the NFTs right now. And so what we're doing is putting together the oldest culture in the world, which is the indigenous, you know, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island culture together with the bleeding edge technology. And you can imagine there are some, uh, some interesting challenges that are associated with that. But, um, you know, we've got an amazing chair for the project who's uh, a global expert on indigenous wellbeing and suicide prevention. Um, and she's a wonderful, you know, a wonderful advocate for the project. And, you know, you know, she, she walks absolutely in both worlds. She understands both worlds. And she was on Indigenous Radio just uh, last week, uh, sorry, the week before last, um, talking about walking between worlds um, to, yeah, on, yeah, on, uh, on national uh, Indigenous Radio. And she was, I, I was super impressed with her. I was so proud. It was amazing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. But it's empowering. And that's the thing that, you know, when, when you look at the technology, it's amazing. But it's what it can do for communities that, that have been disenfranchised, to be honest. And that's globally. It's not just here in Australia. Um, and through the, all the Twitter space and all the marketing we've done over the past six months, we've connected with the Hopi Indians or conduits to the Hopi Indians in Arizona, to the Inuits in Canada and the Mayans in uh, in Guatemala. So yeah, we're, we're super excited about where this could go, but, uh, yeah, it's in, it's a, it's a great use case for the technology, uh, if we can put it off or, you know, or should I say when we put it off, but, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I think it's, I think it's fantastic and congratulations to you and the team. I know it's a, uh, it's a deep personal commitment that you've got, uh, to that cause and that project. So I think yeah. it's fantastic and it sounds like, uh, you know, it will be tremendously successful. I think one of the interesting things that you also mentioned is that included in the NFT drop are soundscapes and and poetry, and I assume that means spoken word. And so um, maybe just to give people a sense of, uh, you know, the NFTs are not just about images and so forth. In fact, there's a, there's a school of thought that says that, um, you know, as 
as certain streaming services have taken, uh, you know, money away from artists, uh, recording artists, that actually NFTs may be a way to restore some, uh, some money back into the pockets of recording artists. But NFTs can apply to, uh, to sound recordings as well. Yeah. It's to any digital file. So it'll be a sound file. It can be a video file, augmented reality. Um, you know, it, it, it extends to any form of digital files. And, and I think, yeah, I think the music industry is always going to be a, going to be an interesting discussion because, you know, the, the music industry is, has already, you know, trans, you know, transformed, you know, transformed into the music, into the digital realm already. Um, and certainly what we're seeing is that, um, musicians are working closer and closer with artists and other technical, technical parties. Um, to actually create new markets. And certainly, you know, with the, the, the hero pieces that, that we're looking at, um, you know, those do embed uh, an immersive experience, um, relating to the pieces that are being, that are being sold. So it's, you know, it, it, it the whole technology is going to transform landscapes in ways that we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe if we, um, if we move to the enterprise use case now. Yeah. And so, I guess one of the early movers in this space has been uh, premium apparel and footwear. So we've seen Adidas and Asics uh, and others make available digital uh, digital footwear. Gucci has a digital sneaker available on Roblox for $19, its cheapest sneaker ever. We've then seen it sort of um, move up into the, um, the handbags uh, space and so the um, – the Birkin, a virtual Birkin sold the other day for more than what the original, what you would pay if you were to be able to get a Hermes Birkin in, in a shop. So, um, you know, and then we sort of moved into, as I mentioned, fascinating use case with penfolds, uh, allowing bottles of premium wine to be, uh, represented and traded as NFTs and the actual wine stays in, in proper, in a proper storage container. Uh, cause one of the problems obviously with trading, uh, vintage wines is having to move a bottle around the place is not good, particularly when it's so susceptible to things such as, um, temperature and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, Tim, what's your, what's your view on, on, you know, wh- which industries are going to, em- are embracing it and where are the big opportunities? It's, it's a really good question, Nick. I think the, uh, the major space that really seems to be growing, and, and there are two that are running sort of parallel. The fashion industry is absolutely embracing this, um, a hundred percent. And, you know, um, and also the gaming industry in some ways they can, but they can be somewhat related. But if we look at the, the fashion industry, what has happened over the past, you know, two years or so with the pandemic or close to two years? Is that you know, the the rise of, of digitization has just exploded, and as a result, when you look at um, flexing that happens in terms of premium brands, you know, um, it, it, it would be the situation that the people driving a Lamborghini, Lamborghini down the street or wearing a Rolex watch, whatever it might be, um, you know, there's the flexing that actually happens in that particular way. But if you think of the Lamborghini um, effect, for example, it might be that maybe. 250 people or 500 people might see it. All right. If you've got digital flexing, that becomes ah. really powerful. All right. Now, now uh, and, digital and flexing. I love it. <laughs> all right. But, but, but bear with me. All right. Yeah. Because yeah, we, we spoke about crypto punks earlier on. Uh. Okay. Now, if somebody owns a crypto punk, 
that it's worth, and they have turned down an offer for $9.6 million for a a piece of art that is a dysfunctional piece of art that is pixelated. Right. That um, has just been that are, from an art point of view, have deep cultural significance, but in terms of the artistic quality, probably the kids that you sent the, you know, the image to, to their nana could probably have drawn it better, right? But the digital flexing now becomes really important because you can now have your profile picture on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, all the digital platforms, for example, that showcase your um, crypto punk. Right. And one of the things that's really interesting, and I know you're laughing, and I, I love I, it. I know I'm, I'm a believer, so no, no, I just, no, no, I just no, no, think no, no, fantastic. Because if you're not laughing, it means your audience aren't laughing, and I know your audience will be saying, "Oh, this is this is baloney." What are you talking? Oh about? no, no, no! I think but it's the, absolutely true. Yeah. The thing that is really powerful, and where this is heading, in my opinion, Twitter announced a couple of months ago they will be validating um, your profile picture in your Twitter profile. So think about this for a second now, all right? If you're on Twitter and you've right-clicked and saved the crypto pump, right, and you put it up as your profile to try and flex and say, yes, I've got that, all of a sudden, Twitter, when it goes live, will be able to say, you know what, you're not the owner. But the original owner will have a tick mark by their name that will link to their Ethereum wallet, right, so what it means is that your digital flexing becomes very powerful. Yeah. Because then now, instead of 250 people seeing your digital flexing with your, your Lamborghini, you've got all the people that are following you on Twitter and goodness knows what, seeing this digital flexing wherever you go. And then that's going to extend because, you know, with Twitter doing that, they are essentially positioning themselves, in my opinion, um, as an identity play now. And so what will happen, I think, we'll see the that t- style of identity going into the metaverse. So if you do buy the the Gucci um, uh, the Gucci sneakers or the Dolce and Gabbana suit, there was one that sold for six hundred and seventy thousand dollars going back about about six weeks ago, right? If you can actually identify that it's been validated that you own it, you're going to be digitally flexing. And so it's, you know, whether flexing is right or wrong is a completely different issue, but it's all part of the game, right? And so as we head more and more into the digital realm, and I mean, you know, if we look at the way marketing is going, I mean, offline marketing is, that's very challenging. I mean, TV advertising is you know way way down you've got i mean you know as a digital transformation specialist you're going to be across a lot more of the data than i will be but you know we're going to see a massive transformation and we're going to see identity being linked into your digital your digital assets that you own yeah and i think that's that becomes a, a really fascinating layer as it uh, as we head into the the metaverse and that type of thing yeah why don't we? I mean, you've uh, you've mentioned the metaverse. So why don't we? So what is the future of NFTs and and the metaverse and so on? Maybe um, maybe your your views on. I mean, perhaps explaining to people what is what is the metaverse anyway? Yeah, it's it's the metaverse has got a multi, multitude of um, of definitions. It's essentially where you've got 
where you're living in, it's almost like, what was was second life and those types of things, except it's second life on steroids, where you've actually got the virtual environments. I mean, there are a number of areas like um, Decentraland or Sandbox or CryptoVoxels, a number of places that are coming up. And these are creating communities online. And, you know, through VR, virtual reality, which, um, you know, I think, it's still got a long way to go because you, you, you're encapsulated in a in a screen that is is very one dimensional in terms of its experience because you can't share it with anybody. Um, you know, you, we're going to have these two and a half D environments where you go into an art gallery, for example, that looks like three D, but you're looking at it on your desktop or your mobile phone or your or your tablet. And so, these types of virtual experiences are beginning to ramp up. And Facebook announced going back about two and a half months ago that they're changing their name to Meta. Now, there's a whole variety of potential issues around why they changed their name as, you know, um, because obviously they've encountered a few challenges. Um, but they're, they're, um, they're actually going to be funding $10 billion in the metaverse. They're seriously committing to it. So from my, my eyes, what they're trying to do is trying to go for the land grab. And they're, instead of actually looking at the eyeballs that are looking at the website, they're going to follow your eyeballs, mm. right? So if you're in the metaverse and you actually look at a painting, you say, oh, that's a good painting. They're painted by your, by your kids that you sent across to your, your, yeah, their nan. All right. If you look, yeah, if people are looking at particular paintings, whatever they might be, you know, Facebook want to have the situation to be able to sell you ads linked into what you're looking at. All right. But. The Winklevoss brothers at the Gemini Exchange, who had the massive legal stoush with Zuckerberg, right? Mm. They are now billionaires in their own right with the Gemini Exchange. They announced a couple of weeks after Facebook announced their meta um, investment, they announced they'd raised $400 million to look at a metaverse, an open source metaverse outside of the walled garden of Facebook. So, it's going to be a battle royale, I think, in the metaverse because the Winklevoss. It's going to be, it's going to be the, it's going to be the largest game of chicken that's ever been played. Yeah. I think. And it's, it's round two. two. <laughs> it's round two. But this is the thing, right? It's personal. Yeah. Right? Now it's personal, but there's, but there's um, a driving factor behind it, right? That's you know, and you know, neither the party is going to want to lose. So the ultimate winner will be the consumers because they'll be constantly fighting to position better products, better, you know, better projects, all this type of stuff. And I think what we're going to see, um, is that the, there's going to become a rise in, um, the essentially the personal data economy where you're in the metaverse and you own your data and then you sell that according to, um, you know, organizations, enterprises that may want to buy it. Right. And I think we're going to see a shift in the business models away from the centralized version of Google and Facebook, you know, in terms of you know, where you are the product. And I think we're going to see a dynamic shift and it might take a few years, but we're going to see a dynamic shift in the way data is held, owned and sold. Yep. And I think it's just going to be it's going to be a massive transition. Um, so I think, I mean, there are so many opportunities building in this space, going back to the question of sort of enterprise and that type of thing. There are so many opportunities with new channels that are opening up and certainly fashion 
going back to what we were saying before, is 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 absolutely a leader. And gaming is um is another area that's just mushrooming. And so when you think of gaming and, and even augmented reality, for example, these are you know all sort of linked into the same style of technology. And there are various event organizers that we've spoken to over time over the past six months that are looking at the idea when the the big music festivals come out again, that they'll have augmented reality um, structures at the music festival, which will actually be an NFT that will give you the opportunity to actually get free beer at the bar if you find it. So it's the idea that almost like the Pokemon Go moments that we had in 2017, this time you can actually put a financial transaction linked into the, the digital asset that you actually find and pick up. And so that's sort of metaverse. That's sort of the structure of the metaverse as well. So we're going to see a whole shift in new dynamic models that are going to create massive business opportunities for those that are nimble enough to understand and get in them. And I think the key thing I would say to anybody is look at this now because we're just touching the beginning of where it's going. And, you know, the early adopters are the ones that are going to make the mistakes, obviously, and there will be early adopters that will actually drive the market. So it's going to be a fascinating world. Oh, Tim, it's, it's been fantastic. We could talk for hours on this. I should I let you go. Uh, so I probably, no, I probably no. on far too much. But, uh, <laughs> I love um, it. And you gave me a new term, digital flexing. It's, um, oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> just look it up on Twitter. Yeah, look up the Twitter, oh, really? <laughs> the stuff on this. It's, it's just um, incredible. I think it is, um, no, look, I, I agree entirely. The whole web 3.0, in fact, you know, I say for every organization, they all need a web 3.0 strategy because it will touch, you know, whether it's in financial services with DeFi, fashion, we've heard about who would have thought with wine. Um, and then you look at, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the terrific distinction with, you know, with, um, virtual reality keeps you in one space. And so if you compare the Oculus experience, which is very much about VR, and then you compare that to the HoloLens experience from Microsoft, which is about, you know, integrating with your world around you. The opportunities are extraordinary. Tim, thank you very much for, for being uh, with us today. I wish you all the best of luck uh, with Walking Between Worlds. I'm sure it'll be a terrific success. And uh, we'd love to catch up, uh, you know, in six or 12 months and hear how it's oh, gone. Nick, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. And, I mean, look, thank you to... Uh, you know, to, to you guys for, for putting the, the webinar on. It's great. Um, and I think, I think that, I, I think there is one thing that enterprise needs to be aware about. There are massive legal challenges coming. Ah. The issue of copyright and the issue of intellectual property is a major, major time bomb that is exploding. So I think, uh, you know, if any enterprise is actually looking at this, you know, get in touch with Nick and the team, um, to, you know, to uh, to get themselves protected. I think there's going to be a massive level of conflicts going on. Yeah, it's, it'll be it'll be interesting. Well, if if we can help, obviously we're here to help. So, <laughs> of course, but, I know. I mean, but, but it's just not a massive opportunity. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, once again, thanks for spending time with us, and uh, best wishes. Uh, and people, please do have a look look out for a walking between worlds. Thank you very much, Tim Lake. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Main Street. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organisation needs a Web3 strategy.